You're listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Oh man, Easter Sunday. Happy Easter, everyone. Listen, I'm so excited. I'm so honored that you've decided to join us for this Easter Sunday. My name is Cam Daly. I'm one of the pastors here at Rail City Campus, as I said. Uh, And it's just so cool to be together for our very first Easter Sunday here in Port Moody. Let's go. Come on, right? Can we put our hands together? You know, it's always cool on a a moment like this. There's a number of individuals in your midst uh, who, you know, really have served sacrificially week after week, getting here at 7.30 in the morning sometimes to make this happen. They're called the launch team or the serve team. Uh, And I'm so grateful to each of you. And as we arrive here on this Easter Sunday, I just find a thankfulness in my heart for you. And so I'm so thankful that you are here. You know, Easter this year feels like the old times, doesn't it, right? It feels like the old times. Uh, You know, family and friends and dinners and egg hunts. I don't know if you were there yesterday. We had a a Easter egg hunt at Kyle Park here in Port Moody. We had over 300 kids, uh, right? 300 kids come and visit. Come on, we can put our hands together, which is amazing. So incredible to just bless the community. And that is what we are all about. If you're just gauging us, you're trying to figure out what we're about, you're going to hear us say we are fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We are fervently committed to being an inc- a, a good news presence in this place, in this space. Not just the, to those who, who believe what we believe, but to everyone and anyone. That is our heart. We are not a church that just wants to hide behind these walls on a Sunday, but we want to have a presence in the city. We want to write a new narrative. We want to retell the story of the church in this city. Uh, And so this is why I'm so, so excited to be here on Easter Sunday, because perhaps this morning you're getting a taste of it. Uh, If you're new to church, if you're new to faith, if you're new to the story of Jesus, you may wonder what it's all about. The atmosphere in the room right now, it's ecstatic, it's exciting. People are, are just so overjoyed because we are a people who believe there is a God. We believe that God knows you, God made you, God loves you. And God loved us so much, and you've likely heard it before, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son and that whoever believes in him, they'll have eternal life. They'll have eternal life, which is so good. We believe that God loved us so much that even though we were broken, even though we made mistakes, even though in many ways we can all confess or admit that we've rejected him, that he continued to pursue us, he came after us, he loved us no matter what, no matter how far we gone. So much so, here's what we believe, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to live among us 2,000 years ago. He's a historical man. He has changed the world. There's more books written about him, songs sung to him, prayers prayed to him. Uh, and he literally changed our calendar. The reason it's 2022 is because this person arrived. This person, Jesus, did many miracles, many miracles, recorded not just in the Gospels, but in the pages of history. This person, Jesus, loved the poor, the needy, and the outcast. This person, person, Jesus, told us about who God was and what he was like. And most of all, here's what we believe. Because of the wrong that we had done, there had to be some kind of payment, a payment for our brokenness, a payment uh, for the things that we had done wrong. And so Jesus went to a Roman cross 
and what, the, what those people in that day and that time meant for evil, God meant for good. And when he died on that cross, he took our place. He took our punishment. He took what we deserve. Why? So that we could experience the love of God. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be made new. So that we could know that there is a God and that he certainly loves us. Now here is the good news of Easter Sunday. He's not dead. He's not dead. He wasn't just a good man who died, who we honor and we pay homage to. But we believe that three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death, defeating hell once and for all. Once and for all, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And that is why this weekend we are speaking to the concept, the idea of crown him. That we should crown him with many crowns because he is God, he is alive, and he is good. He is risen. He's risen indeed. He is. Now let me settle down for a second. <laughs> I recognize this might be hard to believe. If you just walked in these doors, if you're someone who's never been to church, I remember that moment years ago. I was 16 years old and I walked in and I was just inquiring about these things. I, I, didn't, I wasn't brought up in the church. I wasn't brought up to believe these things. Some of you say, ah, you're indoctrinated. It's like, no, I, I was a like 17-year-old kid, right, who looked at what this was and it changed my life. It changed my life. But I recognize and I remember that this can be hard to believe. It's hard to accept. It's hard to think that really someone rose from the dead. I get it. 99.9999% of people who die stay dead, right? There's a couple, you know, like those weird stories on YouTube or, you know, uh, the History Channel or something like that, right? But, but like for the most part, right, people who are dead stay dead. And I get that for some of you, you're like, okay, uh, I get it. He's alive, right? He just, he rose in your hearts, right? Like, you know, <laughs> but this is what we believe. And it's true, it changes everything. And if it's true, it actually changes everything. It will change your life. It will change your life. But if this is false, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, you might be surprised to hear me say this. Our faith is useless. We should get a hobby. We should be just hanging out in our, 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 you know, in our houses right now or eating brunch at Cafe Espresso Bar. Uh, you know, you should be just strolling down to the brewery or whatever, right? We, we should do something else rather than gather here today. But if Jesus is alive, if he really lived and he really died and he was buried and he was resurrected, it changes everything. This gospel, this good news, what we believe is the linchpin of our faith. If you remove it, the whole thing blows up. And so it is so key, it is so pivotal, it is so important today that we genuinely believe these things. You know, the other day I was talking to my uh, dishwasher repair guy. <laughs> I told this story at Ethos the other night, and they all laughed because none of them got dishwasher repair guys, right? Like, it's like, yeah, my, you know, my appliance repair guy for when my appliances break, right? Uh, his name, and I'll just give him a name. His name's Mehdi. And uh, Mehdi, uh, he, he's come over. He helped, he helped determine that my microwave was unfixable. It was very disappointing and expensive. Uh, <laughs> he came over, and he, he was helping me fix my dishwasher, 
And I started talking with Mehdi, and I think he was starting to get, like, the Jesus vibes a little bit. Uh, and so he asked me, he said, hey, um, are you a Christian? I said, yes, yes, I am. I'm actually a pastor. He said, oh, actually, I'm a, I'm a Muslim. And I said, oh, wow, that's really cool. And we started having a conversation about faith. He started sharing about his faith and what he believes. And I shared about my faith and what I believed. And it was a really amicable and just great conversation of people, two people dialoguing about what they believe. But I turned to Mehdi at one point of the conversation. I said, listen, Mehdi, I said, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then, then, then like, y- you might be right, man. Or maybe someone else is right. Or maybe none of us are right. But if Jesus rose from the dead, Mehdi, it changes everything. You need to inquire about this. Look into this. He said, okay, I, I will. I'll, I'll think about this. And thankfully, our dishwasher latch wasn't, you know, it wasn't quite fixed. So I called him back a second time. And we continued the conversation. I think we're going to grab coffee or something like that. But here's the thing. If Jesus rose from the dead, yes, it changes everything. It changes everything. Some of you might be asking, Cam, why, like, why do you believe this? Like, sincerely, is there a good reason to believe? And I would say Yes. We actually have good evidence that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is not just a myth. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just something we tell our kids in the West, you know, to help them be moral people. But we believe that it is a historical event, a historical event. Today I want to read from us uh, a chapter from, the, from a historical eyewitness of this event. Some of the earliest followers of Jesus regarding what they saw, what they believed, and what they lived. Because they believed that Jesus was alive. Because they had seen that Jesus was alive. It's found in Acts chapter 2 where we can read the apostles, the followers of Jesus. They had witnessed the death of Jesus. They had witnessed the burial of Jesus. They saw the resurrection of Jesus with their own eyes. They had spent 40 days with him after his resurrection. They spent, they, they, Jesus had returned to heaven later on in Acts chapter 1. If you haven't read it before, it's, it's wild, right? Like it's just straight up, you know, Star Trek, right? He, he ascends back to heaven. And they didn't know what to do. They had gone through like an entire roller coaster of emotions over those last, those, those few weeks. <sighs> Jesus is turned over to the religious leaders. Jesus is crucified by Pontius Pilate. Jesus is dead. Jesus is buried. They fled. But suddenly they see him. He's alive. He is risen. He is with them. He's appearing to many. And then he leaves them again. So they're hiding in an upper room. They're waiting for this promise that Jesus gave them. said, don't worry. The spirit of God is coming. I won't leave you as orphans. They're in the upper room. The spirit of God descends upon them. History tells us. And suddenly they go from cowards to courageous. Peter, and it says up to 119 others, walk out of the doors of the upper room. They begin to proclaim what they had seen and what had happened. And this is where we find our sermon today. This is a sermon, a message from the earliest followers of Jesus proclaiming what they believed. And it's found in Acts chapter 2. 
And I want to start in verse 22 for us today. And so one of the things we do around here when we read what we believe to be God's word, we stand. So if you're willing, if you're able, you please stand as we read this word, the words of Peter, just day, moments after the Holy Spirit has fallen on them. Here's what it says. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. King David said this about Jesus, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, my tongue shouts his praises, my body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, dear brothers and sisters, think about this. You can be sure that King David wasn't referring to himself. For he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here today among us. But he was a prophet. He knew what God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on the throne. David was looking into the future, speaking of the anointed king's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this now he is exalted in the highest honor of heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see in here today. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and anointed king. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to other, the other apostles, brothers and sisters, what should we do? What should we do? God, I believe this is your word. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. God, as I speak to minds today, I pray you'd be speaking to hearts. Resurrected, alive and well, Jesus, King of kings, would you be in this place? Would you speak to us? Would you help us to believe? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's a powerful question, a powerful question that this text ends with that we need to ask ourselves this Easter. What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? How should we respond? The earliest witnesses and believers and followers of Jesus proclaimed him to be resurrected Lord and anointed king. How do we respond to such claims? Some will say, well, listen, this is just simply nonsense. Let's move on. Others will say, well, maybe they were deceived somehow. Some will say, yeah, I think they made it up. But there's millions today that will say to you, this is true. I have experienced him. And many in this room will say, I have experienced him. I have seen him. I have had an experience of this resurrected Jesus. So what 
is true. Were these early followers of Jesus liars, deceived, or did they truly, truly see the resurrected Lord and anointed King resurrected from the grave? What is true. Well, Peter, throughout this sermon, he, he delivered to thousands that day. Interestingly, the, the Spirit of God gave each one, as he was speaking, to hear the message in their own language so that no one would miss it. And as he's giving this message to this original audience, he's making an argument to them and for you and me that Jesus is alive, that there are reasons to believe. He starts with this line, God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know. As they would have heard this, no one in the crowd would have refuted these words. Many of them had saw, some of them were healed, they were fed, they had experienced personally the earthly ministry of Jesus. They were not too far removed. They were there. They saw it with their own eyes. They experienced their own broken body be healed. They ate the bread that was multiplied. They heard the words that he preached. And what Peter is saying is this, is that God publicly endorsed Jesus by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him as you well know, as you well know. Can we camp here for a moment? When Peter is speaking, he's saying, you know this. You saw this. You experienced this. And it's important to pause here. They knew. He doesn't say, as I have told you, as we have preached, uh, you know, and the story that we told. He says, as you well knew. As you well know. This is so, so important. Secondly, he gives a piece of evidence. He brings forth prophetic words. Here's what he says in verse 23. It says, but God knew what would happen. His prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was portrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. First off, in case you missed it, once again, we do believe that Jesus rose. And Peter highlights some things here. God knew this would happen. This was his pre-arranged plan that was carried out. When Peter is speaking here, what he's saying to you is the death of Jesus was not a surprise to God. Can you imagine the scene, right? God the Father sitting in heaven. Oh, there's my son. Oh, he's doing so well, right? Look at him. He's doing miracles. Oh, right. oh that sermon, Jesus. It's so good, right? Okay, oh man, he's going to Jerusalem. Look, they're, they're singing Hosanna, right? Like, you know, he's just, I, I, I like to personify these things sometimes, right? You know, they're, they're laying down palm branches on the ground. They're all hail King Jesus, right? As they're coming in. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, wait a second. The religious scribes and rulers are always getting in the way. Why are these religious people? Come on, man. Get out. Right? And so uh, it's like, oh, no. They're turning him over to Pontius Pilate. Okay, Pontius, good guy. He's going to let him go. Okay, like spirit, don't worry. Calm down. Right? Get your puffer. Right? And so anyways... I'm kidding. But, you know, suddenly Jesus is being handed over to Pontius Pilate. The crowds are shouting, crucify them. God in heaven was not sitting there going, oh, no. (laughs) Right? This was not part of the plan, right? Oh, gosh. They're pulling out the cross. Should we send the angels, right? He's like, this wasn't the scene that day. (laughs) 
This was God's prearranged plan. And I know it seems a little sad, but he had a purpose in the pain. He had a purpose in the crucifixion. He had a purpose in that day. As Jesus died, he knew that he would cover the sins of the world. He would make people right with God. And Jesus tells us, and and the author of Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And this was prophesied of old. When it talks about prearranged plan, it wasn't like, yeah, 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 this was the plan all along. Yes, people. Okay, right? It was the plan. We talked about this for a couple thousand years. Right, right, right. Can you just add it into Isaiah? Like, could you just add that into, you know, like it's just... We just got to cover up this little, this little blunder, right? No, this was prophesied in the Jewish Torah. This was jo- prosif- prophef- prophesied. It's a little bit of a difficult word. He was prophesied in the Old Testament. I want to just bring up one text that shows us this, that spoke of, of the, the death of Jesus a thousand years before he even entered planet Earth. Psalm 22, it says this, My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. If you read John chapter 20, this is exactly what it spoke to. Exactly what it spoke to. These words were penned a thousand years before Jesus grazed the earth. And there are many texts just like this one. In ancient documents, some of you say, well, it was changed after the fact. This simply isn't true. You can look at the oldest of manuscripts today and they will say just this. Here's the point. This was God's plan from the beginning. It was his plan from the beginning. Now Peter points out another prophetic point. What he's alluding to here is this. It's actually that Jesus is alive. That Jesus is alive. He didn't just prophesy that he would die, but he prophesied that he would rise. And he talks about King David. This is so interesting in a weekend that we're talking about crown him. But King David said this about Jesus. You can read it in Psalm 16. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, my tongue shouts his praises, my body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. The joy of your presence. I want to highlight some things here. God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep its grip on him could not keep its grip on him. I want to highlight here where it says this, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. Now some of you say, well, Peter obviously, you know, uh, as he's quoting this, King David was obviously just speaking of himself, you know, that he just had hope that he would rise one day. He had a hope in the resurrection of the dead. But Peter makes an argument here. He says, no, 
This, this surely, dear brothers, dear sisters, think about this. You can be sure that King David wasn't referring to himself, for he is dead and buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet. He knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future, speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him, Jesus, among the dead, or allow his body to rot in the grave. To rot in the grave. Peter helps us to see that this is a prophetic word that David said. But there's a sub-argument here. There's a sub-argument here. His tomb is still here among us, it says. His tomb is still here among us. If you wanted to, in that day and that time, anyone who wanted to could go and they could see the tomb of David. They could go and see where his bones lay. And if you wanted to in that day, you could look at all the figures, the, the patriarchs, the historical characters of Christianity and Judaism. You can go to the tomb of Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. You can go to the tombs of the kings. You can go. But what Peter is saying is David is clearly speaking of Jesus because he's still here and Jesus isn't. He's still here and Jesus isn't. This, is the, this argument that he's making is saying that Jesus is alive. That, that he is no longer in the tomb, no matter what the History Channel tells you or those weird magazines at Shopper's Drug Mart, right? Stop reading those, right? <laughs> he's, he's saying he's alive. He's alive. Jesus' body is not in the ground, you can't visit it today. If you go to Israel, they say, yeah, I think he might have been buried over here. But some people think it's over there. And some think it's under the church over there. We're not really sure. We don't have the bones. Jesus is alive. John A.T. Robinson of Cambridge University says this, the burial of Jesus in the tomb is one of the earliest and best attested facts about Jesus. This is because he was born, uh, sorry, he was buried in the tomb of Joseph Arimathea. If you're going to make up a hoax, you do not bury someone in a well-known tomb. We can't find the tomb today, but they would have known exactly which tomb it was in that day. Exactly. Joseph of Arimathea offered his tomb to Jesus, and he wasn't there. He continues... God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. At this point, it's so important to explain that this isn't just crazy Pete having a sermon, right? We all know a crazy Pete, don't we? You're walking downtown, like, that, like downtown, and someone by the art gallery's got a sign, or there's that guy with the bike who's got scriptures written all over his jacket at Rocky Point. I've talked to him many times, great guy, I love him. But we all know somebody who we're like, okay, right? <laughs> uh, all right, it's just, it's just Pete, right? It's just Pete. It's important to note we are all witnesses of this. We are all witnesses of this. This expands the narrative, the belief in Jesus' resurrection beyond an inner circle, an inner circle of people. This is more than just the 11 disciples scheming about the resurrection. Oh, we're going to create this plan. We're going to become apostles. You're going to get a hat. You hold a cross. It's going to be good, right? Like, you know... 
But we see that there's 119 others who are in the upper room. Women, men, children, people who had seen the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. They're there for various reasons. They had had various experiences and, and different experience. It wasn't just one appearance. It was multiple appearance. There was an appearance at the tomb. There was an appearance to more than 500. He showed up to individual disciples one by one. It wasn't a collective hallucination. What's the word? Hallucination, thank you, right? But it was actually, they had experienced and for various reasons believed that Jesus was alive. This is so important to note. And the majority of these individuals would go on to die gruesome deaths for Jesus. Some of them would be crucified. Some of them would be speared. Some would be beaten. Some would be thrown off the temple, stoned, beheaded. Alistair McGrath says this, the lack of fear of death that they, the disciples, the early followers of Jesus clearly had when facing death for their faith attributes to the belief that they had in the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the uh, Jesus of Nazareth assured them of their own resurrection and post-mortem afterlife. The lack of fear that they had. And their stories are recorded to this day. And Fox's Book of Martyrs will tell you stories of generations of people who gave up their life for the faith. What would it take for you to die for Jesus? What would it take, sincerely? You probably would have to believe that he rose from the grave, am I right? And this still happens today. There are people in our midst, some of you here, who have heard about this Jesus. There's two more points, but they'll be quick. His final defense is an experiential one for those who are listening. He says, the Father, as he had promised, gave the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, upon us just as you see and hear today. The people were experiencing the effect of the Holy Spirit's coming. They could hear the sermon in their own language. They could see the boldness and the authority that these disciples spoke with. It was a powerful sight to see, just as you see in here today. Now, I get it. The people were present that day. They saw and heard with their own eyes, and I know we can't. I know we can't. And this is often one of the main arguments against Christianity today, but they did. And this is a historical fact. And so I'm here to tell you today, this Sunday, it's not just Crazy Cam up here giving a sermon who thinks that Jesus died and rose. Silly Cam. Oh, look, it's the last man in Port Moody who believes in the gospel. No. In your midst right now, there are many. There are many individuals who have seen, experienced the power of Jesus in their own life. They can tell you personal stories of what God has done for them. You can ask them. Some of them are your friends, your family, your neighbors. You can ask them. And finally, the last experience that these people had that day was this. It was the testimony of the way the early followers of Jesus lived. The community continually committed themselves to learning what the apostles taught. They gathered for fellowship, breaking bread, and praying 
And everyone felt a sense of awe because the apostles were doing many signs and wonders among them. There was an intense togetherness among all who believed. They shared all their material possessions and trust. Continues. They sold any possessions and goods that did not benefit the community and used the money to help everyone in need. They were unified as they worshipped in the temple day after day. In homes, they broke bread and shared meals with glad and generous hearts. The new disciples praised God. They enjoyed the goodwill of all the people in the city. The, the city was said, oh, these people are good. Day after day, the Lord added to their number everyone who was experiencing liberation. It says, the way in which they lived, what would it take what would it take to rock the foundation of how you live, how you spend your life, how you spend your money? It disrupted and changed their weekly rhythms. It disrupted the way that they saw the world. It disrupted the way in which they trot one another, uh, treated one another. These people were shook by what they saw, what they had felt, what they experienced, and it changed everything. They had met the anointed king of Israel, the one who died and rose. And so let me finish with this. What does this mean, friends? What does this mean? Jesus is king. Jesus is alive. Jesus is real. For God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this, they say. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 23. Paul says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler, any authority, any power, any leader, or anything else. For good measure, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. He is higher than all other authorities, powers, leaders, worldviews, philosophies. If he is king, he deserves our allegiance. And the resurrection tells us that there is more that's going on than meets the eye. Jesus is alive. And this is why Peter proclaims with boldness. So let everyone in Israel know. And I would say, let everyone in Port Moody know. And let everyone in the Tri-Cities know. And let everyone in the Lower Mainland know that Jesus, they can know for certain that God has made Jesus alive. Whom you crucified to be both Lord and anointed King. The resurrection proves this, vindicates it, and settles the fact and so I want to end with this, and I'll invite the band up. What should you do? What should you do? Brothers and sisters, what should we do? In light of this fact, on Easter Sunday, what should we do? Peter gives us a few things. He says, each one of you, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins says, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and your children and those far away and all who've been called by the Lord. He gives us three ways in which we are called to, res to respond today. The first is this, and it sounds like a very religious word, but he tells us we must repent. 
Here's what repent is to help us. It's simply just turning our backs on our old way of life, thinking and acting, and turning our faces back towards God. Turning our faces back towards God. Saying, God, I receive your grace. God, I receive your forgiveness. God, I receive your love. God, thank you that you died for me. God, thank you that you rose so I can have new life. It is turning your back on your old way of living, thinking, and acting. And then he tells us, be baptized in the name of Jesus. Be baptized. Some of you have followed Jesus for a long time but not been baptized. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward reality, a declaration that you believe that Jesus died and rose. On May 29th at Old Orchard Park, we are going to baptize people in the ocean. Okay? And if you want to respond to this message today by saying, yes, this I believe, I will be baptized, and I will make a public declaration in the seen and unseen world that Jesus is alive, you can do that. You can write that on your Connect card. And here's the last one. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. The gift of resurrection is... For those of us who believe. But here's this last one. Receive the Holy Spirit. The last one is just a gift. You don't have to do anything. You can just receive it. In the same way those disciples did in that day, in that time. You just receive the Spirit of God to live and dwell within you. The closest of friends. A friend to your soul. Who will be with you and in you. Repent and believe. Receive the Holy Spirit. Be baptized. And this promise is for you and to your children, parents, and to those who are far away and all who have been called by the Lord, it is for you. And so I'm going to pray. We're going to sing and respond. Jesus, thank you that this promise is for us. Thank you, Jesus, that this promise is for those who are far away. Thank you, Jesus, that for anyone and everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, who is in this room today, that on simple belief, on simple turning to you, that Jesus, we can be made right with you, God, and we can be saved forever. Thank you, Jesus, that we do not follow a God who is dead. And because of that, God, some of us today, you're going to put on our hearts to be baptized, to proclaim that you rose. Thank you, Jesus, that you did not leave us as orphans. But God, even though you are alive and in heaven, you sent your spirit to now live and dwell within us who believe. Thank you for his presence. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that you're alive. And God, we proclaim your resurrection over this place today. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.